Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Transgender athletes in sports, what to do about that issue? And the Democrats have scored a major messaging victory. Our next guest discusses that with us right here on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Goldco. Hey guys, welcome back to Vincent Jason Save the Nation. I'm Jason Nichols. I'm here with my colleague with a really sharp haircut, Vince <laughs> Colonnese. And we have a very special guest with us today. Vince, who do we have? Well, Dr. Jason Nichols, we've got Olivia Rondo with us. She's a conservatarian activist, wrestler, podcast host, a blogger. She also competed in the Junior Olympics Championship for wrestling. So she's basically done it all. Olivia Rondo, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for having me here. Of course, it's great to have you here. I, I do want to ask you, first and foremost, to kind of about sports and, and politics and where they're merging right now. Um, we've seen some reporting lately on this issue of transgender athletes, that there are transgender activism organizations that have been doing surveys. And uh, they've been trying to basically get a temperature from the American public on how the public feels about transgender issues. And in particular, when they sur surveyed um, uh, the issue of people identifying as a different gender than their birth sex uh, and participating in a sport, uh, it's very unpopular in the American public. In fact, the, the average American kind of sees it as unfair, especially when uh, biological men compete with women. And in, in your sport, wrestling, I wonder to what extent have you encountered this phenomenon? You know, is it, is it out there? Have you, is, it, is it showing up at the levels at which you've competed? And, and what do you think of this issue? So it's, first of all, it's so correct that the, the average American, the majority of Americans do not agree with biological males and women's sports, despite what the media might say, that it's like a far right fringe idea or that it's just people being transphobic or bigoted or hateful. It's really about fairness. And that's the lens I view it through as well. I'm not a hateful or bigoted person. Um, in terms of experience in wrestling, wrestling is a male dominated sport. I was born and raised in Maryland where we do not have women sanctioned wrestling. So through high school, um, there were no um, uh, scholastic girls wrestling team. So I was on the boys team in high school. Uh, so I do have extensive uh, experience wrestling and, you know, competing in combat sports with biologically male people. Now, however, none of those biological males to my knowledge, identified as a female, to my knowledge, I've never wrestled a transgender person, but I would see no difference um, in, in physical difference wrestling a biological male who identifies as a male versus one who identifies as a woman. So, so there's, what you're suggesting is that there's a biological um, advantage to being a male that isn't eradicated by identifying as a woman or, or, and what about, but what about with like treatment? I mean, one of the claims that um, and certainly one of the standards by which athletes are included in uh, top level competition, if they identify as a gender that doesn't correspond with their with their actual sex, is that they meet some sort of threshold when it comes to how their body is, is chemically altered, right? So they take hormones and they or they decrease the amount of testosterone in their body. And then you have sporting bodies that say, okay, that's the level at which you can compete. What do you think of, of that crafting of how to make biological males eligible to compete with women? 
Yeah. So over the summer in, in the Olympics, there was a biologically male uh, weightlifting athlete from New Zealand who um, competed in the women's division. And the IOC's explanation for this was that they had lowered their testosterone level enough to meet that threshold and that they had been taking estrogen supplements enough to meet that threshold. However, taking uh, estrogen supplements or lowering your testosterone does not change like a myriad of things that go into making athlete. You have height, wingspan, lung capacity, bone density, uh, so many different things that just go into making a better athlete that men naturally have more than women that will not be changed uh, just by lowering your testosterone level. That's not going to shrink you. Um, in this case, uh, Laurel Hubbard, the athlete, um, was the official height and weight um, I found out was like six foot two 240 pounds. That's just not the height and weight of a natural biological woman typically. And if this person was born a natural biological woman, they wouldn't be this height and weight. So taking estrogen supplements and lowering the testosterone to appease the IOC really wasn't enough in my eyes. So I'm wondering what, what was your record against male wrestlers? Did you beat male wrestlers? I did. Uh, it was less and uh, it was definitely a worse record than my uh record against women to put it in perspective I was what we considered to be probably an average high school wrestler in terms of men I probably had a slightly above uh even record I did win more times than I lost but it was just basically if I was a boy I would have been an average high school wrestler in the girls division I'm a six-time all-american and three-time national champion so just to put that in perspective an average or slightly good male high school wrestler can beat the majority of girl wrestlers in this country. So, you, but the, the major point I think here is that you can compete with men. Like it wasn't like you had no ability to compete. No, and as and a matter of fact, you, you, you were pretty good. You actually beat more men uh, than lost. So couldn't we deduce from that, that women in certain sports can compete? I think that the fact that I competed and won like I did and did much better in the women's division and was on the Olympic development team and was on Team USA just shows that I'm a good female wrestler and that I'm an exception to the rule and that not every female wrestler is at the top of their sport like I was. And even though I was, even though I was at the top of my sport in the women's division, I never made it to regionals or never made it to states um in the male division so while yes I did hold my own and did compete there's no real comparison and the average female wrestler would never be able to compete like I did so how, how popular is wrestling amongst women because couldn't it couldn't the argument also be that there just aren't a whole lot of, of women wrestlers so you were probably wrestling against some women who weren't as experienced who weren't necessarily as good if anybody is an MMA fan and you've seen the way uh, women's MMA has evolved over the years, you know, someone like Ronda Rousey couldn't, couldn't probably compete with even the top 50 women's MMA fighters today, but she was dominant in the past. So isn't women's wrestling kind of in, uh, couldn't you argue that it's kind of in its infancy or, or that it's at least in its toddler stage? Uh, so there aren't as many women wrestlers that would make it very, you know, much easier for you to make it there. Whereas for men, it's been around for thousands of years, you know, uh, and therefore many more male, comp uh, competitors and you competed with them and, and did very well. Um, I think 
that, uh, first of all, women's wrestling is the fastest growing collegiate sport. So while it is not as, um, as prominent as male wrestling, like I said, there is no currently no, uh, girls high school sanctioned wrestling in Maryland. That is not the case for many other states. Maryland is a very small state and larger states such as New York, Texas, California, they do have established girls wrestling teams at every high school. Um, and it's, it's just bigger in, in some states than it is in other states. So to your point, when I was first dominating the girls wrestling scene in Maryland, I was like, well, there's just not that many girls wrestling in Maryland. I was like, I was a state champion in Maryland the first year I started wrestling for girls. So, you know, in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, the competition is not super stiff here. So I did agree with you at one point. Then I went to nationals where there are girls from California, Texas, New York, where they have deep teams, teams at every high school. And I was still cleaning up. So um, again, I think I'm, I'm the exception to uh, a rule. And, um, and I also agree with you that watching, and I, I, I used to be a big, big UFC fan, a big Ronda Rousey fan and, and watching the, um, the progress that women's MMA has made as it gets more popular and how the fighters from 10 years ago would not be the fighters from today. It, it is honestly very inspirational to me. So in 10 years, would I, um, would I have have been as good in the women's division who knows maybe not but women's wrestling has been in the olympics for several decades now um they've had the same competitions that i've competed at that competition the national tournaments that i've won have had girls divisions for you know at least a decade or two decades so it wasn't like i was competing in something that was brand new it seems to me that this fundamentally is just a question of fairness like i, I think i don't know if we all agree but i think we agree that women should have uh, a separate separate leagues in which to compete because yes. of it, in order to create a fair playing field. And so if you yes. start if you start from that presupposition, then I don't know how you can justify having a, a male compete in that sport because it eradicates the whole reason that you had you created a separate women's division in the first place. Yeah, and one thing that I try to get across to people is yes, I did compete against boys. I was somewhat successful competing against boys and like like I managed to compete like the average male high school wrestler that you know wasn't a state championship but also didn't lose all the time uh so I did succeed in that sense but it's just very rare for that to happen um and I think that it shouldn't be used as an example to say we don't need our own divisions every other sport you know every other sport has their own divisions basketball soccer swim track they all have their own divisions it's just wrestling that has had um some trouble getting off the ground um like Jason acknowledged it is kind of you know it's it is still a growing sport and especially in my state of Maryland it is still a growing sport um so there have been people in Maryland who have looked at um people like me and been like, well, she doesn't need her own division. She'll be fine um, if we just keep it in the boys division. But like I said, I do much better against women. And I think that it's because of the biological but also, difference. Also, this is only a one-way phenomenon in terms of how it becomes unfair. So right. a woman going into men's sports does not make it inherently unfair. She's subjecting to herself to a higher standard and higher competition. I mean, you see, you see girls sometimes go out for football and typically they'll join as like kickers or something, but you'll see them on a football field. I that's up to them. They can do that if they want. It's not making the playing field inherently unfair. The direction that it becomes unfair is when a male goes into a, a woman's sport and we've seen it over and over and over again. I, I guess, you know, Jason, I, I, I obviously love your thoughts here as always on all of this, but I guess like to me, I feel like we are, we've strayed entirely from just focusing on what should be obvious, which is okay. If we're going to, have sexually separated sports, 
we should do it on the basis of sex. And, and so why all this debate over gender identity if it's, if it's supposed to be predicated on biological sex to begin with? So I, I, I agree with you uh, and Olivia that having you know women's sports is important and uh you know I, i'm an advocate for women's sports i've mm -hmm. got daughters you know they play sports or at least one of them does and the other probably will so i, I definitely believe in, in women's sports and i look at like for example women's basketball is almost like a different sport like it's it's a different game um right. and i respect that uh same thing with you know things like baseball and softball even though i think women should be able to, you know, they should have women's baseball, actual baseball, not just softball, but that's, that's a different conversation. Um, so I, I agree there, but I do think when someone identifies as a woman, because it's not female sports, we call it women's sports. And there are things that are done to, to uh, level the playing field. Uh, I think, you know, they should be able to compete. And there are times, uh, there are certain sports where it is an, there is an advantage to being born female. So uh, like being a gymnast, you know, there are certain activities uh, for gymnasts that I'm sure there's probably a young uh, person who was born male who believes themselves to be a woman who wants to compete and has a biological disadvantage to that because they're not short and you know stocky and the, the ways can't do a floor routine like a lot of women would. So I, I think that if, first of all, we need to look at it in terms of uh, the sport. And I'm, by the I'm way, kind of by undecided. The way, by the way, Jason, that floor routine is one of the, is actually one of the interesting spots and in where sports is like totally separated because men don't have to dance. <laughs> like women, women dance in the floor routine. They have to like actually throw yeah. a dance in there. I'm like, well, that's fine, but it's not really. I mean, I and dancing, I guess, is an athletic activity, but like, like it's not the same. That, that like, there's completely different rules. Yeah, I mean, even the the you know, like, uh, I turned on my Netflix app. I didn't watch it, but they had uh, this show called Cheer, uh -huh. and it was about cheerleading. Yeah, and I remember, you know, when I was young, we used to always argue the football players. We would always argue with the cheerleaders whether cheerleading was a sport, right, which right. now I clearly see that cheerleading is a sport. I think anything you compete physically in is a sport. Um, but at, at any rate, not cheering at a football game is not a sport because that's there's no competition there. But anything where you compete is a sport. At any rate, um, the roles for, for male cheerleaders, because we had a male cheerleader at my high school, the roles for male cheerleaders and female cheerleaders are completely different. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that, you know, there, there are certain differences that we have, but I think you can, um, a lot of this can be mitigated. I understand in high school sports where someone who has not transitioned, you know, I, I, I kind of lean towards you and Olivia that if you are, you know, born male and you have testicles that are producing a large amount of testosterone and you're going to run a race against um someone who was born female who doesn't have that i think that that is arguably unfair but once you've gone through the treatments and all of that uh, I, I believe that in many cases they should be able to compete now again the other nuance to that for me is combat sports um i'm not so sure that 
someone who was born male should compete in combat sports against people who were born female. Um, now, you know, a race pole vaulting, you know, I say, let them compete, you know, but why, their, why that, why do you make the that. distinction there out of curiosity? Well, I think that they're, they're, uh, you know, some of the things that, uh, that Olivia brought up and, and again, I'm not certain because there was a woman, uh, who was born male, right. um, a trans woman who competed in MMA. And Fallon Fox. Fallon Fox, exactly. Mm -hmm. But people don't realize Fallon Fox got knocked out by another woman, you know, uh, like by a woman who was born female. So it's not like Fallon Fox could dominate, you know, she fought one woman and everyone showed this woman where she broke her cheekbone or something like that. Her orbital, yeah, I think she, I think she. Yeah. Yeah. She, her or which orbital bones, if you, if you know boxing, orbital bones break all the time. It's a weak bone. It's on the side of your, your eye. And boxers, that's like a bone that boxers break often. But at the same time, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. It is, uh, uh, Olivia's right. It was a fractured skull. She, she, uh, fract, she's fractured. She's broken two female. Sorry, I'm using she. I don't, I don't prefer that just because it's a biological male. But either way, Fallon Fox broke two female opponent's skulls the thing that right. bothered me about that the most was that fallon took to twitter after and bragged about breaking the skulls of transphobes after those two fights and it just seemed like they were reveling in the fact that they were a biological male breaking women's skulls well see first of all fallon fox if fallon fox had gotten into the octagon which she never got to that level but if she had gotten into the octagon um, with someone like Amanda Nunes, Amanda Nunes would have broken her face. You know, um, any of these top level athletes would have, and she was not at that level. She beat up that one woman that they have on video because that woman wasn't ready to fight. You would have gone in and beaten that woman to a pulp. Like if you watch that fight, that woman put up absolutely no fight. And, you know, that was a mistake of whoever her handlers were, whoever was training her. Not everybody should get into a fight. Like, that's like putting, you know, you don't put Vince into a fight with Mike Tyson. You know, um, Vince let me, is going to... Let me ask you something, though, because you seem like you know about combat sports. We were talking about jiu-jitsu before we uh, mm -hmm. start recording. And as a wrestler, I noticed that there are so many things that are either advantages or disadvantages that the average person wouldn't really think of. In wrestling, we do a lot of wrist control, a lot of grip strength. I have very small hands. Um, I have very small wrists. They're not that strong. When I'm wrestling a man who has thicker, stronger hands and wrists, I notice there's a difference. It's harder for me to grip. It's harder for me to grab. That's never going to change by uh, taking estrogen supplements or lowering your testosterone. Um, height will never change by taking estrogen supplements or lowering testosterone. Your lung capacity, men have larger lungs, therefore they can take in more oxygen, thus contributing to a higher level of conditioning. That's never going to change if they take estrogen or lower their testosterone levels. So many smaller things like that foot size, uh, even, um, I guess I already said bone density, skull size. I mean, we're talking about a, a, a male size hand, which will not change due to estrogen or testosterone levels being changed, fracturing a woman sized skull, which we all know are smaller and slightly weaker than a man's. I mean, there are so many different things that go into that that just won't be changed 
just by, you know, doing the correct procedures or, or legally or medically transitioning, you can get surgeries. But a lot of those things like hand size, arm span, lung capacity, those will just never change. So don't you, the, here's one argument that I've, that I've heard against it. This is the equivalent oftentimes, like in the 1970s, they told Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that he could, or in the late 60s, that he couldn't dunk because he had an unfair advantage because he was taller than everyone else. Like, isn't this kind of that same sort of thing? Like no. where we are hampering somebody and saying, hey, you, you're not allowed to dunk because it's unfair because you're taller then than why, us? Then why change their testosterone levels at all? Then why should they have to meet any type of requirement? Because we're trying to, to, to make things on a level playing field, I think that that's, that's fair. But my question to you is, should they, you know, uh, have, you know, not allowed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to dunk? No, I think that's, I think that's ridiculous. I don't think that that premise really fits in here because we're talking about a binary sex. And I think that sex is binary for the most part. So what about um, Castor Semenya? Semenaya. I don't know. Is it the, Semenaya um, or I, It's a. I know who you're referring to is South African. I believe an intersex female identifying individual who has mm -hmm. high naturally occurring higher levels of testosterone. Um, right. Re she has a vagina though. She's she's a from, woman. She has a vagina. And I get that. Yeah. I get that. And that's something that I don't think that there's a one size fits all answer to. And I've said that when I've made videos for the Daily Caller talking about this exact subject. I don't think I've brought mm -hmm. up Castor um specifically uh but a case where an intersex person with internal testes producing testosterone and also external female genitalia um i don't know if there's a one-size-fits-all answer for that uh, so sex is isn't a binary so we're 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 in a because well, she said she, she said most for the most part yeah yeah okay yeah she, she offered the stipulation there's a, there's there a sure. minuscule percentage of the population that is intersex and and carries characteristics from the two biological sexes but those are anomalies i don't think we should be making rules based off of the percentage of a percentage of a population yeah i mean i, I think i think the trans population is pretty minuscule too like like they're a really small population right but so the, let's not so yeah. let's not bend rules and allow biological males into women's sports just to appease a few people but it's women's sports right i mean but what's the purpose of women's sports is it to is it just for female identifying people or is it to level or is it to have female people have a level playing field and not compete against males so uh, again if it's women's sports then women should be able to play right i view women as females okay all right so you you don't believe that gender is socially constructed and you basically you don't believe in the concept of gender you you don't think that concept i believe exists. that gendered sports should be based off of biological sex i think you have the right to do whatever you want identify however you want if you are a biological male that says you are now a woman and you take the steps to you know look like a woman and live like a woman i really don't have an issue with you if you're like hey call me by this name or, or you know refer to me as a trans woman yeah. whatever whatever um i don't really have an issue with that and like i said before this is not out of like me just trying to be mean and try to mm -hmm. push trans people away from me or out of a sport or whatever have you it's you know, really about fairness for me yeah, no, you know I'm, one of the one I'm of the accusing you of that one of the interesting things here i think that that as you're talking about this this uh, distinction between gender and sex 
is for years, the transgender movement, for what it's been, has made a distinction between gender and sex. They've often said that these are not the same thing. These are two separate categories. And yet in the moment we're living in, those, those distinctions are now all of a sudden being erased by those same activists. They're suggesting that, that gender should be the basis by which biological males compete in women's sports. And that is, that is not the distinction that used to be made. It used to be sex was completely, was a biological fixed point and gender was the social construct, right? And so I think what we're allowing to happen right now is the lines are being blurred between something that we were told actually had clear delineating lines before. And so like this should not be a debate even among transgender activists because sex is the mostly, as you point out, immutable characteristic that, that is the one that would preclude us from all of the debates that we're seeing play out now. And yet here we are uh, as, and seeing uh, men uh, dominate in women's sports. And it seems like with each passing week, we get another story that sounds a lot like that. And again, and I, these I stories just are not clear. coming from cheerleading and these stories are not coming from gymnastics. I hate to say these stories are coming from, you know, physical sports that males have an advantage over women in. Yeah, I, I would, I, another thing, you know, just came to mind, another sport where, you know, males can't compete with women diving. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was watching uh, like these Chinese divers who weigh like 87 pounds, and they're like, like people who are born male would struggle in that. Um, so would you say that, that for example, that men, people who are born male and maybe want to transition to female, that this should be kind of an across the board thing where you have to compete with your biological sex? Or would you say that allowances could be made in situations where you would not have a, a physical advantage? My, my threshold, my standard is no males in women's sports. I don't care if a woman is in a male sport, like I was in, in male wrestling because there's no advantage there. I don't care if a female transitions into a male and wants to compete in men's sports. I don't care about none of that. My only goal is no males in, in women's sports. So I can't even answer if across the board, can there be made exceptions for this gender identity or that gender identity or this sport and that sport? I'm just for no males in women's sports. Can I, uh, what, can I make a point about diving? I was, I'm glad you brought up diving. I was thinking about this. I, I didn't realize this until about a year or two ago. I looked this up that men in the top performance in diving jump from a height when they do the high dive of uh, around 89 feet. That's the highest that, that the top competition jumps. Women at the top competition, the highest they will jump from is 75 feet. And I didn't realize, I was like, wait a second, what's the difference when you're just falling from height? Like why in the world would it matter uh, what height you're falling from if you're a male or a female. I, don't, I, I didn't understand the distinction, so I looked into it more. One of the things you find out is that high divers reach ridiculous speeds, upwards of 90 miles an hour by the time they hit the water. And additionally, uh, that men's bones afford them the additional protection necessary to jump from that height that women don't have. That's at least what they do at the top level competition. So that's an interesting sport where I thought that there would be no advantage. Like I thought everyone could jump from the same height, who would care? But at the top levels of competition, they actually have men jump from insane yeah. heights that women don't jump from. 
I have to I have to admit that I, I'm not very educated on diving, you know, but I will say that when I've watched the Olympics, just doing the eye test, it is the smallest people, you know, literally the smallest human beings, and and a lot of these Chinese divers that dominate the sport, yeah, uh, particularly the women. Not only are are they small, they're usually really young too. Those tiny little splashes—that's the key. Yeah, they, that's, they that's what I'm the looking water. for. That little, that's that little how I judge it. Is like how yeah. big was the splash? Yeah, and like these Chinese, like it's literally like dropping a penny into the water. It's like, yeah, know, it's amazing. Like, it is amazing. There were like seven flips in 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 that amount of time, and the men, even though they're coming from a higher height, doesn't seem like they are able to do the same amount of flips. You know, from what from I'm just going from my eye test because I actually well, enjoy watching it. I don't understand it. Well, let me Where, get you know. I want to get Olivia's reaction to the, the big transgender sports story of late, which is Leah Thomas, the University of Pennsylvania swimmer, a biological male who's been competing uh, with women in some of these races, just absolutely dominating all of the women. The exception, apparently, at least one of them came this past weekend uh, when he lost to a woman who is transitioning into a male so a biological female beat a biological male in competition it is a roller coaster of a story i don't i i you you read that you're like what the hell is going on here sorry that's uh, also funny. also one of the craziest parts of the story in addition to just those details is apparently according to the news reporting at the end of this ivy league race the woman who's transitioning into a male pulled her bathing suit down to celebrate at the conclusion of the race. I'm like, I, I, my brain exploded reading That's this. Hilarious. I was like, is this real? Um, anyway, what do you make of all of this, uh, Olivia? So just going off of pictures and, and, and stats of Leah Thomas, the UPenn swimmer, um, they are well over six feet tall. I believe the the height I saw listed was six foot three or six foot four. I mean, they're a very tall person. By pictures, they're they're built like a male. And it's not out of me being hateful. They're built like a male. They have sure. a male musculature, male height. They just look like a man. And I just don't agree with a person who is looking and acting or looking and functioning completely like a male in terms of you know their strength and their height and their lung capacity and their bone density um competing with women and i it is a little bit comical that the one female that beat him or beat this trans woman that was competing was uh transitioning i don't know if they were on testosterone or not i've, I've seen that was reported that they were not finished with their transition yet so i don't mm -hmm. really know what was going on there it's kind of comical but I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't really know what to make of that portion of it. All I know is that a biological male who is continually beating all these women, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's it's right. because they're a biological male. Right. And if you look at their record before they transitioned, they were not winning a bunch of male competitions. They were an average male wrestler. I feel like an art swimmer. I feel like it always happens. They're like an average male athlete. Then when they transition to a woman, they're at the top of the female leagues. Right. Yeah, we see that a lot. I mean, right. that's how it went for me when I was competing against men. I was the average male wrestler, despite being a, a biological female. And then I was at the top of the female leagues. It's like the same thing. Yeah. Let me, can, I want to switch gears here to, um, to Democrats and messaging. Um, you, uh, I saw that you were expressing, I, my understanding is on social media recently, uh, and I just want to get your thoughts on this lately, um, that uh, the Democrats have had a pretty tremendous messaging success. I don't think you're pleased with it. But you do, but they have convinced 
um, the American public of something that you think is meaningful? What was that? I think that the Democrats' biggest messaging success, <clears throat> despite the ridiculousness of the premise, is that the entire rural working class, which is majority white working class people, voted for Donald Trump because they're racist, not because of economic opportunity or whatever financial benefits they thought they would see from voting for him. I'm not even really here to talk about like uh, the success of that. Like if, if people really if people really did feel a financial benefit, I'm just saying the reason they voted for Donald Trump is not because they hate black people, not because they hate Mexicans, not because they're bigots. I think that may be true for a small percentage of people just like in general, I think a small percentage of Americans are racist. I don't think it's by and large or generally a racist uh, country made up of racist people. Um, I just think that the Democrats successfully use that messaging um, to alienate a lot of Trump supporters and to make people think that they were being racist or to make people um, on the left uh, hate and alienate their Trump supporter neighbors because they assume that they're hateful bigots. And I really reject that premise. Hmm. So, so underlying that seems to be that, you know, people have been told that the only reason their political opponents won is because the base of their political opponents are morally reprehensible. That there's something that's they're sort of lacking morally. And that's the explanation for why your political opponent had a victory. Yes. I mean, you remember in uh, 2016, people were talking about, oh, white supremacy won today. White supremacy won the presidency or the, or we're the uh, America, like, the uh -huh. white supremacists, Ku Klux Klan voting Donald Trump in, and that's really just not the case. Jason, do you think that's fair? Did, did you think that, um, that, that, that that had been a dominant message about Trump's victory? Um, I, I think that people were reacting to uh, many of the things that were said and done in Donald Trump's name. Um, and said by Donald Trump himself, Donald Trump's decades-long record. Um, I think people, uh, I think understandably had some fears about it. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's a little bit of gaslighting by many people when they say, oh, there's not a lot of racism. That That's not a whole lot. That's not something that happens often. I think that many Americans have experienced it um and they have their own opinions um about you know what happens you know with their neighbors um now i do think that it is i, I would disagree that democrats have had any messaging victories i think democrats messaging is absolutely awful i think that they have lost the you know the messaging battle in many cases but when you say you want a complete and total shutdown of Muslims entering the country. Um, when you call things the Kung flu, I think it, it kind of you know, adds to this idea that there's hostility to people of color. And when it's, you know, when some of the, the rhetoric around, around uh, immigrants, um, I think that you know, many people had their fears about Donald Trump and his support. That would usually, you know, if someone did not have, um, some issues with race that would you know that kind of talk would be disqualified you know um but apparently it wasn't for a lot of people and i think that worried a lot of uh people on the left and it made them think who would support someone who would say these things especially if they would say them aloud um 
and not, you know, apologize, not atone, not, you know, try to chart a path forward. Uh, they, they stood by it. And, you know, I think a lot of people were, were rightfully afraid of that. Um, so first to address the first, the, the first thing you said, I'm not one of those people that tries to gaslight people into saying that racism doesn't exist in America or that we don't have a racist history. Yeah, I, I wasn't talking about you specifically. No, no, no. I, I know. I'm just saying to clear, to clarify, I'm not one of those people that holds that opinion. In fact, I do a lot of work with Republicans and people on the right to educate them on how racism still affects people in this country today, particularly black people. I don't really ascribe to the whole people of color thing. I'm not an intersectional person. I don't view um, people as white or others or white and colored really in that sense. I view, um, I, I do a lot of uh, work educating people on American descendants of slavery, which are black people. And that's basically what I do. But uh, uh, to address the other things, I mean, Muslim is not a race. Immigrant is not a race. Uh, there was never a time in Trump's presidency where Muslims were banned coming to the United States. The countries with the top Muslim populations were never banned uh, from coming to the United States. That was just not something that happened. Um, the Kung flu thing, I get that it's a little off color. I think that a lot of people, whether people want to believe it or not, make jokes that are not politically correct, but they don't hold hatred or vitriol or bigotry for any other type of race in their heart. Should should the president of the United States be saying that? Probably not. It's funny, but I probably wouldn't say it if I was president. I just don't think that means he was a racist. And I think that if looking at rhetoric compared to Donald Trump's actual track record, especially when you compare it to Joe Biden's and the current administration's actual track record in terms of how their policies have affected Black people and how their actions have affected Black people, I think we're looking at two very different scenarios. And I think one of these people is racist, but I don't think it's Trump. What did you think, Olivia, of his speech, that is Joe Biden's speech in Atlanta this week? He suggested that uh, if you don't support federal legislation to uh, change elections, to basically give Washington more control over our election process, uh, then you are on the side of Bull Connor. That was, he said, you're either on the side of Martin Luther King or Bull Connor, take your pick. The implication being that Joe Biden and the Democrats are on the side of Martin Luther King uh, and he he accused Republicans broadly of being those who pass um, laws, election laws in states across the country as being domestic enemies and suggested that if you support them, you're su you're supporting segregationists. You know, I got to say, I'm super tired of the guy that said he did. He was against school segregation because his kids would be growing up in a racial jungle, claiming that he is on the side of Martin Luther King and that he was always against segregation. and He's always been against discrimination because he's just lying. And he's uh, it's really making a mockery of black issues. And it's so hilarious because this is the same president who last summer during the George Floyd riots sat up there at a press conference and said that George Floyd's death had a bigger worldwide impact than Martin Luther King's assassination did. I find it highly disrespectful that it keeps bringing up Martin Luther King, who I look up to and respect, and many in the Black community do. And when he was not historically on Martin Luther King's side in the past, and he still brings up his name in disrespectful ways today, I just not a fan of it. I thought it was I thought it was highly divisive. Jason, did you did you think the speech was good or did you think it served a good purpose? Well, I think the, the point of the speech was about the Freedom to Vote Act, which had a lot of things that that many Republicans would would agree with. Um, I think it's because Joe Biden gave it you know, that they, they have this big issue with, you know, some of the things that he was saying about, you know, the Freedom to Vote Act, 
we should make it easier for people to vote. And that was something that John Lewis stood for. And that was something that Dr. King stood for. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I would agree that if you want to look at, at Joe Biden's past in, in the 70s, uh, yeah, it's, there's some troubling things. Even in the 80s and in the early 90s, there are some troubling things when it comes to, to race. Um, I think it's the same thing with Donald Trump. One of my very close friends had basically had Donald Trump put an ad in uh, all of the New York City papers saying that he deserved to die. Basically, it, it was a lynching and he turned out, turned out he was not guilty of the thing that he was accused of. The same thing with Donald Trump when he, and this is, I don't, I don't want to make this a big Trump versus Biden thing because I think that's useless. That's been done so many times. But of course, in the 1970s, Trump's properties were putting a C on uh, rental applications that came from Black people and not allowing Black people uh, to, to rent from his properties. So again, and you know, the things that he said about you know, Native Americans, they don't look like Native Americans to me, you know, all, all these kinds of things are, are troubling. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think what he was saying yesterday uh, about the, you know, Freedom to Vote Act, was, was that yesterday? Or was it the day before? Um, yeah, you know, was talking about, for example, you know, uh, two weeks of early voting for 10 hours, who, why would anyone oppose that? Preservation of ballots post-election? That's exactly what Republicans should want. Requiring post-election audits? That's exactly what Republicans say they want. Making election day a holiday? That's, those are the things that, um, that uh, would benefit all Americans, particularly those rural working Americans. They would benefit from election day being a holiday. So my, my thing is, I don't really get you know, what the big opposition to something like the Freedom to Vote Act is uh, and why you know, when 43 states are, are making rules that make it harder to vote, why people would be against that. But see, I, there's, a, there's a litany of things that probably should come up, obviously, in this debate, which are that, one, Georgia and Texas, too, but Georgia, which is the one that received all the ire, actually expanded the amount of hours that you can vote in Georgia. They actually put drop boxes into the law. They codified a system that didn't even exist prior to the pandemic, they now have drop boxes officially. They, they made it basically much more expansive than the average Republican would have ever supported uh, in terms of what kind of election allowances there might be. Uh, you know, one of the obvious, one of the, I think the good arguments for why we should have election day on just election day is because voters are entitled to all of the information at the same time about who they're voting for. How many stories have you seen break in the waning days of an election that could have an impact on how people consider who they're going to vote for. I think that's a perfectly good argument for why it's reasonable to have an election day, but that's not what they have in Georgia. They've got weeks of available time to do it. And additionally, they used to have a signature match system for their absentee ballots. So that's that's a system which up until 2020, places like the Atlantic was saying was disproportionately hurting black voters because they would sign their signature to their absentee ballot. They'd send it in. And then some election official would say, sorry, it doesn't match the one on file. And black voters more than any other were having their votes disproportionately thrown out during a signature match. That goes away now in places like Georgia and Texas, because now you just write your state ID number on the ballot. In other words, what, what's, what's upsetting to me, Jason and Olivia, about the speech that we heard this week from Joe Biden 
is not only how divisive it was, but that it so thoroughly misrepresented what the battle's actually about. Republicans are saying these states should be able to make election laws that are designed to, of course, give access to the ballot and protect the integrity of the vote, thus not disenfranchising voters. But what Joe Biden and his, his allies in Washington are arguing, and, and in other states around the country, Democrats, is that, no, actually what we're dealing with here is the equivalent of Jim Crow. What we're dealing with here is segregation born anew in the United States. And he's stoking the flames of what has always been a contentious issue in the United States, race, in order to mislead the public about what the battleground so, actually is. So again, I would, I would just, and, and you and I have debated this uh, before, um, certainly the, the drop boxes in uh, Fulton County and in certain parts of, of Texas, in, um, in Harris County, uh, they are actually going to have fewer. Some of the things that expanded the vote um, during the pandemic, which we are still in, uh, are being taken away. Uh, and, that, and that was the reason why we had so many millions upon millions of, of people vote. But I think in Georgia in particular, I will agree that some of the things that people have uh, focused upon, particularly Joe Biden himself, like the giving water to people standing in line. And I, and I, I get the, uh, the argument, which is true, that African-Americans in general spend 22 minutes longer waiting to vote than, uh, than white Americans. But the problem with the thing in Georgia, number one, is that it's predicated on a lie. You know, that, that's number one, that it's predicated on the pernicious lie that, uh, you know, there was fraud or some sort of problem in uh, the 2020 election. But the, the other big problem in terms of what the law says is that it gives the General Assembly the ability to take all power away from the state election board and then usurp the power of local election boards. And particularly when it comes to Fulton County, they can come in, the largely Republican Georgia Assembly can come in and invalidate votes. That, according to all experts say, is going to be enticing for a lot of people who want to affect the outcome of, uh, of an election. And that is a very, very troubling uh, you know, addition to this law. So yeah, you can talk about, oh, you know, signature matching and all that, but that part is probably the most troubling uh, part of this. And again, you know, I would agree that there are a lot of elements of these. Uh, of, of the Georgia law in particular that have been proven don't really have a large impact on voter turnout. But they're not looking for a large impact. They're looking for a significant impact, and that's different. They're only looking for 11,780 votes. That's all. So the small amount of impact that you can make on turnout in Fulton County changes the election. That's not even one-fifth of, uh, of Southwest Atlanta, you know? So that's the, the issue that people are concerned about. And mm -hmm. yes, you don't need to chase people with dogs anymore. That's not how Jim Crow, you know, when he says Jim Crow 2.0, it's not something that I would use. It's not the, the language that I would use, but I would say when he's saying Jim Crow 2.0, 
It's not dogs and, you know, and cops beating people up and literacy tests and, you know, direct poll taxes. It's not those sorts of things. It's become a lot more sophisticated in ways to drive the, the turnout down just enough to win elections. Olivia, I'll let you jump in here. We've, we've been going back and forth. Um, I think uh, I agree with uh, pieces of what you guys are both saying. I mean, I think in, in my mind, a fair and secure election is what we all want to strive for. I personally am not an expert, so I'm not going to sit here and tell people like, oh, this is the way we should secure it. This is the way that we need to make it easier. I think that a lot of uh, things in the Democrat, uh, in, in Biden's bill that um, Jason was mentioning about how, you know, making voting day a holiday, um, extending hours. I think that's I think that's all fine and dandy. I just know that um, I was in Pennsylvania during the 2020 election um, and I was working for the local Republican Party there. We did see we did see low uh, levels of fraud. We did see low levels of uh, of people, you know, messing around and there are some suspicious things that happen. I don't know if it's enough. I can't say for, for a fact if it's enough to overturn election or change election. I just know that our elections are not as secure as they should be. So I would like to secure them even more. Also, I, um, one of the central components here is like just giving people confidence in the elections. That's all. So like, like yes. in addition, like what you need in order to have a functional democracy, a functional republic is that the people have faith that their votes are accurately counted. And I don't think that's a partisan point, actually. I think that should, because like, look at the surveys. The Washington Post and the ABC, ABC News do a survey after every election about the extent to which people think that the president was legitimately elected, okay? And if you go back to the beginning of this century, every single time the base of the opposing party has some degree of believing that the guy was elected illegitimately. Now, dirty little secret is that Democrats are at a higher rate. So when, when Bush was elected in 2000, obviously a contentious election, but then reelected in 2004, and then when Trump was elected in 2016, each of those times, Democrats by a wider margin, Americans by a wider margin thought that the Republican president was illegitimate. And so I think what we should be on guard for is the trust deficit. So obviously what we really want is a system where Anyone who wants to vote, who's eligible to do that, can and does. And then they can have faith that their vote was accurately counted and that nobody else's vote was in the system that shouldn't have been. I agree. Um, I 100% agree with that. Uh, and it's like a, a thing where I think Republicans have a knee-jerk reaction to whatever Biden's going to say because he prefaces it by saying very divisive things like, oh, we're the side of MLK. And then Republicans automatically don't want to listen to whatever voting rights bill he has to say, whether, I mean, whether that's good or bad, I can't really say, but um, it, at the end of the day, he's a politician. He has to not be divisive and he has to appeal to people. And he's just really not doing that. All right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll just say um, the people who were really concerned about voting rights weren't just on the side of MLK they were literally next to him. They literally spoke to him. They literally were his companions. Um, you know, people like John Lewis, the late John Lewis, uh, who was concerned about voting rights before he died. So, you know, these were people who knew Dr. King, spoke to Dr. King, and were his, his friends, his mentees. Uh, they were the people and still are the people and including uh, some of his children yeah. um, are still the people uh, who are concerned about voting rights. 
Um, and, you know, nobody's more concerned than the people in Fulton County, uh, Georgia, which is, you know, home to Dr. King, home to Ebenezer Baptist Church. Uh, and I think that they're concerned. And that's one of the reasons why Joe Biden was putting it in his speech and talking about Dr. King. When you're at Clark Atlanta University, when you are in Southwest Atlanta, when some of the people who are attending knew Dr. King, um, I think it, he would have been remiss, not to mention voting rights, which the Voting Rights Act has been stripped down uh, since Shelby County. And that is something that Dr. King fought for. That was one of his last major victories, um, you know, in, in terms of policy was voting rights and we're seeing it stripped down and changed. And so they're trying to uh, solidify that. And I don't know how you talk about voting rights in the United States without talking about Dr. King. I, I agree with that. I think that if it was honestly anybody but Biden saying that because he's a liar and he was not on Dr. King's side when it came down to it back in the day, <laughs> it would have came across a lot less divisive because he he's said straight up, he's he, acting like he was on the side of, you know, racial equality back then when he really wasn't. So I just find it very disingenuous. He said yesterday, Olivia, that he was arrested again as a civil rights protester. I don't know why he keeps saying that. It never, <laughs> that literally did not happen. Why does he keep saying that? He, he's already recanted that claim once. Why he, does he keep? He, he once he once said it, and then he recanted it, and then he said it again yesterday. That was very strange. I don't know what he's what he's getting he at. He also but. thinks that Kamala is the president, so there's that too. <laughs> but the one thing that's missing from the conversation, which nobody wants to talk about, Democrats don't want to talk about, Republicans definitely don't want to talk about it, is how. Um, making it making felons not be able to vote that's to me that's the biggest uh piece of, of voting equality and voting rights that they should be mentioning but they don't actually care about equality it's all a virtue to them if they actually cared about it they would recognize that their crime bill that they made made thousands of black men not be able to vote but they're not going to address it because that would have to actually make them take some type of responsibility right in other words they've served their time they've paid their debt to society they should have their vote the voting rights restored exactly Precisely, yeah, no, exactly. I, I think a, a, in a lot of states, um, those are the it's the it's the Republicans that are keeping that from happening. For example, in the state of Florida, Democrats pushed really hard to have voting rights restored, but it was the Republican Party and, and a particular uh, Governor Ron DeSantis that said, "No, you cannot get your voting rights until you've paid all of the associated costs and court costs." Uh, in order to get your voting rights back. And again, this was an attempt to limit black and brown votes. Same thing, you I know, agree. a lot of the, when I you look at the states- I agree Republicans don't want to hear it. I agree with that. Yeah. But it, at the same time, I'm pointing the finger at two people. I'm pointing the, I'm pointing the finger at Republicans who don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm pointing the finger at Biden and I'm pointing the, the finger at the people who put this crime bill into place. Because, I mean, Ron DeSantis is the one, isn't the one that- it, um, uh, is locking up thousands thousands of Black people since the 80s and 90s. That just wasn't him. Maybe it would have been him if he was in that same position. I don't think, Ron, I'm not a big Ron DeSantis fan, but I'm just saying that because Biden and Kamala did this, they should be the ones to fix it and they're not fixing it. All right, let's yeah. let's leave it there. I think that's a, okay. a good point. A little a little uh, criticism of both Republicans and Democrats to end the show. Uh, Olivia yeah. Rondo, we really appreciate you spending some time with us today. That was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Olivia, can, can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, yeah. Because our producers certainly had issues with, with factual information. Can you give people the facts about where they can find you, where they can follow you? 
For sure. So I am on Twitter, Olivia Rondo, O-L-I-V-I-A-R-O-N-D-E-A-U. And in my Twitter bio, there's my link tree. So all my work, my YouTube channel, everything I've written, all my other social media pages, that is in the link in my bio. Yeah, Olivia Rondo, definitely an independent thinker. Thank you, Olivia. Nice to talk to you. Thank you.